0: Today's teaching text comes from 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your family of believers throughout the world as undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with...
1: So beautiful. We have made it to the end of this incredible letter. Um, uh, so many beautiful things were coming to my mind as I was, I was uh, just hearing uh, the, these elements of our story told and this work that we get to share in together. And I just, uh, just want to say it is truly, I truly believe that the best days of our church are ahead of us and that we're going into them together. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm so glad to be doing, doing that with you. So, a YouTube uh, series my kids love uh, and, and I got caught up watching a segment of it the other day and basically it went like this four people who were regularly on the show uh, were given a task um, they each had a, a little work area and they were given some wood and a, a saw and some tools and they had a time limit of one hour and within this one hour they had to build a functional chair and uh, the fifth member of the show was going to judge with the, which of the chairs was, was the best. And so, so they begin. And, you know, it's sort of like it's compelling enough that I'm actually doing something else. And I like Stop. And then all of a sudden like 15 minutes has gone by and I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there watching it. But they begin and right away you can kind of tell some of them have some experience with, the, with these types of tools, uh, with these types of materials. And you can see some, some of them obviously have it. And that's, you know, what makes it entertaining. Seeing them struggle, seeing the difference between them. Two of the guys right away have a plan. And you could see it coming together. Both of them within, you know, well before the time limit make pretty great chairs. You could certainly sit in them without, you know, a a crisis or an issue. Um, One of the guys who's like notoriously known on the show as a neat freak cleans up his entire work area and then sort of goes over and watches the other people as, as, as they're struggling. So the last guy is making these really messy cuts, um, he, he's like trying to kick the wood at some point to, to, to break it, it's not coming off clean, um, and, and, and it's pretty funny, but you see this thing he's made, and it's, it's very wobbly, it looks like it's going to fall over on its own, you know, never mind someone actually sitting in it. So I'm walking away after like pulling myself back to real life and saying, oh, I wasn't actually trying to watch Dude Perfect right now, I was trying to go somewhere else, um, and I was thinking though, what, what was the like? What's the difference here? And right, it's 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 simple. Maybe it's really obvious. Certainly, there may have been some difference, you know, in aptitude, uh, natural talent. But it was clear a few of them uh, had experience. A few of them had experience with this type of thing. Someone had shown them at some point how to use these tools and how to use them safely. Or, or they had been able to watch someone do a project like this, build something like this before. It was all of them were coming to this challenge with a high level of want to. They all wanted to, to do the thing. Uh, but there was a big difference in how they were prepared. And it made me, it made me feel a lot of sympathy for the last guy who was re, who was really struggling. He had very clearly like never used a table saw before, and it was very dangerous to see his appendages getting close to this whirring blade, and like you know not supposed to cut towards you, I don't think. And it was it was it was scary at a at a couple of points, but um, it sort of stirred up this thing in me from from childhood. I've 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 had. Um, <laughs> I've gone down memory lane quite a few times recently um, about how, how I was raised and I've had this sad but somehow also beautiful experience of, of being with some friends in the last months who've lost their parents and um, I was driving a- around in, in his hometown with my friend Jake and we just found a- ourselves doing this thing you do when you've lost someone is sort of telling stories and, and comparing your stories and, and realizing oh this was similar and this was different and and uh, it brought up one of the things in a, in a kind of a humorous way that used to absolutely burn me up as a kid. And it was when my dad would get angry with me for not knowing how to do something that he had never shown me how to do. And so if it was like washing a car or changing oil or, or organizing some part of the house, he, we would just absolutely butt heads. And you would just, he would say things like, how do you not know how to do this? And I would say things back like, how do you think I would know how to do this? Like, where do you think? You think I just came with this information downloaded into my, into my framework here? And we eventually, we did get to talk through and work out some of, some of those differences. But as a kid, it would absolutely drive me up the wall. I would be trying to do some complicated thing and be like, does he think he's shown me how to do this? And he would come behind and be very, very irritated. Now, 25 years later... <laughs> I catch myself doing something similar to one of my kids, and it's just like, oh, how does this happen? I have to to remember what that felt like. Life is going to throw all manner of situations at you, not a a groundbreaking insight there. And we're all going to have different levels of aptitude and talent and gifting and ability, but a massive question for how we navigate the world is what are we prepared for? discipleship, this thing that we talk about seemingly in the church and almost nowhere else, it's one of those Christian jargon words that gets used inside the walls of of the believing community and not outside really at all but discipleship, it's really important to know what it is because it's essential to what Jesus sent his followers out to do to make disciples that that's actually how you get the church to be this beautiful shining picture like we were seeing in the video of of love being expressed to God and expressed to to our neighbors in this profound way but Discipleship is at its core a process of preparation. Discipleship, if, if you know, it, it's, it's a robust picture, but it's a relational process. So it happens together in friendship, in community, in real life relationship. It's a relational process of development and growth. If you see that the, the disciples going on this journey with Christ, what's happening is they're being prepared, and then he's giving them opportunities to, to see how that preparation is bearing out, and then they're processing it together. It's a relational process of development and growth. Discipleship in the church, sometimes we, we only think of it in terms of, I need the person who's you know two stages ahead of me in life, who's the master of something, to, to look down and mentor and bring me along. But also, there's a peer-to-peer discipleship that can take place in the church, where we're, we're sure showing one another Jesus and the way of Jesus. It's it's a process of preparation, it's a relational process of development and growth. It's the way we show one another Christ. One of the most powerful pictures in this letter Peter's writing to the church scattered across the you know what's modern day Turkey is is saying to them you are As far away from Jerusalem as you are, as far away maybe as you feel from the center, you are the priesthood of all believers. We can show one another Jesus and show one another the way of Jesus. Discipleship is how we prepare one another for life, even as life is going on. It's it's how we say, look, this is what Jesus' life actually looks like in this situation. This is what Jesus' real life looks like in our culture, in in this tough decision, in in this step of of faith, in in this process of repentance. As I process news from one side that brings me joy this week, and I process another piece of news that absolutely blows my mind, discipleship is about what's the response of the way of Jesus in this. How do I show love? How do I work for justice? How do I pray? How do I live? And Jesus, uh, Peter is closing this letter as a spiritual father. And he's been saying, I know the struggle you're going through. It's not unfamiliar to me, and I don't want you to be unprepared. As best as I can, I want you to be ready for real life as a follower of Jesus. And he says at the very end, sort of like the summary of the whole letter, I want you to know the true grace of God so you can stand fast in it. Peter's writing from a particular stage of life. Um, You know, he says, he begins in this section saying, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So, Peter's writing as an elder to the sort of like leaders of the church and we don't know everything about Peter's life but we know a lot more about Peter's life than some other characters in the scripture so we know presumably he grew up as a a, a Jewish boy around the same time you know as as Jesus obviously as, as Jesus was 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 around and at some point he had gone through the basic training that a Jewish boy would receive he learned Torah and there was an opportunity for him to go on in that in that training but he didn't see to have the aptitude or natural talent or ability so instead he was bounced out to his father's trade and Peter became a fisherman normal cultural way that someone would be a disciple in his world and yet Jesus comes to him and says will you follow me and it's a long process it's a little bit back and forth but he drops his nets and he follows Jesus and he becomes a disciple we know the highs of Peter's life his courage his faith we also know some of the failures his denial on the night Jesus was was betrayed and arrested but Jesus personally restores, restores Peter in this almost like um, uh, play dra- drama. He recreates the exact scene after his resurrection where Peter betrayed him, and he restores him, you know, step by step repairing his heart, and then sends him out as an apostle. You are going to go for me. You're going you're gonna to speak my words. You're going to show what my life is like. And then ultimately we know, even though it's not recorded in the, in the text, that Peter died a martyr He gave his very life. So this man has seen some things. Understatement of the sermon. He's passing along some essential preparation to these believers that are scattered across Asia Minor in the first century, a context wildly different than ours. But the word that is often used, that shows up in the New Testament, um, is the word equipping. This is kind of what Peter's doing here. And the word equipping is, is a very, very uh, robust, sort of powerful, multifaceted word in the scriptures. It has a bunch of different meanings. I'm not gonna go into everything, but essentially to equip, which is what Peter's doing here, it, it, it could be used to, to say to fix something that's broken, to fix a broken bone, to, to pack a ship for a long journey is to equip, to restore something that has, has, has fallen into disrepair is to equip, to teach a soldier to fight, to prepare them for what they're going to face is to equip. Peter ends this letter, and as he does it, he is equipping. He's saying, listen, let me give you some things you're going to need as you go forward from this point. He shares some essential things from followers of, for followers of Jesus about what leadership is, basically how to lead, how to be free, How to resist temptation and how to keep this living hope that the whole letter has been about, how to keep that alive. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at these these little pieces of essential equipping that Apostle Peter says, a church that's uh, dealing with a a wildly different context than it it, it was in and and is struggling with suffering. This is what they need as he's closing this letter. How to lead, how to be free, how to resist temptation, how to hope. That would be great if we could knock that out, right? Well, who doesn't want those things? Let's do it. Let's go. Here we go. So first, how to lead. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will walk into the whole Christian community. It's important that everyone gets to hear this job description. This is what leadership is supposed to be like in the church. This is what you're meant to hold me accountable to, my job description. Any pastor, elder, spiritual mother or father in the church, this is, Peter has been a witness to the physical life of Messiah Jesus. He knew his voice. He knew the rhythm of his day. He knew what it was like to see Jesus take a nap. He knew his walk. He knew his prayer life. He knew his diet. He knew um, how his his voice sounded in calling and correcting and instructing and saying, get up and walk and saying, the kingdom is like... He had seen Jesus suffer. He had seen Jesus arrested. We know that he famously hid as Jesus was being executed. And then he had seen Jesus alive. I've already mentioned that Jesus put back together his broken heart and restored him after his worst failure. All of that he had, had, had happened to him. Now, he's writing to leaders in the church who are not going to have the exact same experience to walk with physical Messiah the way Peter had. But he's giving us, still giving us, a forever principle of Christian leadership. And that is we need to have seen Jesus come through for us, and, but that you have come to rely on Jesus in a real personal way and seen Jesus come through. You need, if you're gonna lead in the church, you need to know in your bone. That you can absolutely depend on Jesus to come through. That doesn't mean there aren't gonna be failures. It doesn't mean there aren't gonna be weak moments. It doesn't mean there's not gonna be gaps sometime in what you want or expect Jesus to do and what actually happens. But you need a track record with Christ. To to live as a disciple is to live in the dust of the rabbi. And I wanna tell you, that's possible for you. Possible for me. It means we live in the story of the gospels. That we're constantly, by the power of the Spirit, saying, what does Jesus' life look like in Brooklyn in 2021 and 2022 as our something? I thing Peter uh, sort of appeals to, your qualification is what Jesus has done, your charisma, that you have come to depend on Jesus. That's your qualification for leadership in, in the church and the second is that you learn to care deeply. How simple is that? Basically, that you get the attention off of yourself and you put the attention on the other. You care deeply for others in the way you have seen Jesus doing. And Peter kind of gives three pillars of this. There's so much in this. We need basically like seven weeks to break down this passage. We have less than that. We have like 20 more minutes. So uh, I'm going to fly through some things that in your small groups need to be wrung out for all the living water that's in them. But basically Peter gives three pillars of what this caring deeply as a picture of Christian leadership looks like. And I'm going to fly through them. But the first is willingness the second is integrity and the third is 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 your example that this is the way we care deeply for one another as leaders and the church first is willingness bring your motivations regularly before God and let them be shaped by love when you find something other in the primary place of of motivation other than that love you need to check yourself or you're in danger as a leader in the church. It needs to be that our heart is becoming Christ's heart for the people around us. There's a willingness. Secondly, there's an integrity. Keep a very close watch over what you're trying to get out of your influence. There's a lot of times all through the scriptures where we see people trying to get status, trying to get wealth, trying to get uh, you know, acclaim for themselves by using their influence. And over and over again, Christian leadership in the church, the picture is that we use our influence to draw someone to Christ, to show them the way of Jesus. So there's a willingness piece. And integrity basically means this wholeness, that there is no gap between Christ, the thing you have, have as a leader, in the church. And right, we know the leadership paradigm in the Christian church is service, but is your example. Know that your example, your life of of holiness, weighs exponentially more than simply using words alone. Anyone can talk the game, (laughs) What is the example of your life? Two of my earliest mentors in the faith, and I'm very, very grateful for this. They, they were not world-class teachers. Um, they, they were serviceable, um, uh, but I was always catching them following Jesus. I was catching them in prayer. I was catching them giving money to someone in need. I would catch them driving across town, inconveniencing themselves to meet the needs of someone else. I would catch them, uh, you know, going out of their way to 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 put someone else's need above their own. I would catch them. I would catch them delighting in God's presence, loving to worship. Their their private tears and talking about things God had 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 spoken to them in the quiet place were more impactful than anything I ever heard them say in public. Church leadership is not about some spotless resume or engaging talents and personality. Peter is one in a long examples of heroes of the faith whose flaws are very clearly seen. But here's the thing. He knew personally what it was to be restored by the true grace of God. By the great second, I wanted to say initiative like between now and Easter I think God is going to put on the hearts of some new people in our church I'm not saying like your brand like this is your first week or something they journal about it pray about it and we'll see uh we'll see see what happens but I, I really believe God is is committed to raising up elders in our church that are going to lead us into the next season so the second point of this sermon is how to be free what a great point love that okay In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. And maybe one of the most relieving passages in the whole Bible cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. How to be free. Peter kind of gives it to us in in two little parts here. First is the freedom of humility. And, And this freedom of humility, Peter is speaking about the startling quality of the life of Jesus, that he was the king, worshiped in heaven nonstop, and yet he came in utter humility. He made himself of no reputation. My question is, if you were God on the earth, could you walk in obscurity as a carpenter for 30 years? Could you live in a way that nobody knew? And yet he wasn't belittling himself. That's what we see about Jesus' humility. It wasn't a belittling of himself. He knew utterly who he was. Sometimes our false humility looks a lot like you know, pulling ourselves down. That's not what Jesus was doing. Instead he had a right. if you don't believe me, look at his baptism. He submits to the Father's will. Even though John's was a baptism of repentance, he says, I'm givishry to do and accomplish, and they're being offered to him in a shortcut way. And he says, no, 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 no. I hold on to the word of my Father. I hold on to the way of my Father. Obviously, massively in the cross. We see him entrusting himself, entrusting his very spirit into the hands of the Father. He's willing to trust the Father to give what he needs. Now, Jesus... And his movement truly changed the way the world saw humility. Before this, and his followers, nobody outside of a different way of going about things. That the king would be amongst us in humility. From two men from basically the same generation. The first, you've heard me quote a billion times. Um, Lewis, C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is a clear recognition, so practical and simple. Humility is a clear recognition of what and who we are, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. I like those two things together. In a world that tells us so often to inflate our own image at every turn, in every post, That's the way to significance is more people to know and celebrate you. There is great freedom in entrusting ourselves and our reputation into God's hands. There is freedom, church, in humility. And there is freedom in casting your cares. This little section has literally been a lifeline to me. I have have held on to this like, you know, like, Someone threw me a life raft and I was drowning at sea. Casting your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety because he cares for you. The commentators say this verb is such a strong one. It means to pick up everything that's bothering you, everything that's weighing you down and fling them on God's back. Pick up everything that's bothering you, everything that's weighing you down, and fling them on God's back. He will carry them. He will be delighted to do so. He's quite equipped. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Do you think that about God when he thinks about you? He's like, let me carry it. Let me carry it. Let me carry it. I want to. I'm delighted to. You have no idea how much I love you. This is a picture of freedom, of course. It it, it doesn't mean that we don't have a, a meaningful share in working through the challenges of our lives. But we release the weight to God. This has to be church, this has to be a practice in your life, not merely an idea that you agree to. We make this mistake in the church all the time. We think by agreeing with something, we're doing it. That is not the same thing. You have to make this a practice. You have to actually fling the things onto God's back that you've been carrying around. Literally, maybe in the next right now to the end of the year, make a little section of every single day that's cast your cares time and literally take 10 minutes and just get them on God. Get them off your heart, off your mind. Have a cast your cares time in every day and learn this practice of freedom. Third, we're already to three. We're flying. You're doing amazing. How to resist temptation. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter is telling the church something that he knows very personally. One of the scariest moments in Peter's life is when Jesus said to him, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That is not something I'm super looking forward to having Jesus say. <laughs> um, is there some way around this? Could this cup pass from me, please? Um, but Peter knew very personally what it was to deal with this false and roaring lion. So he says, here's a se- essential instructions for you as sons and daughters of God, as followers of Jesus. Be alert and of sober mind. Be awake paying attention and aware spiritually about the reality of the contested space of this world, about the flesh, world, and devil that we've talked about, about how you're going to have internal uh, desires to go your own way. Pay attention to that. The world's going to have systems that seek to crush you, that seek to lead you uh, away from the way of love and the way of life and the way of Jesus, and that the enemy is going to come as, as a tempter, as a deceiver, as a liar, as an as an accuser. You need to be aware and aware and awake, and paying attention. It's the opposite of where we find ourselves so often, which is exhausted and looking to numb out. Both of them look to the example of Christ in this. The enemy will come to us as a false lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The enemy will come and almost always offers first a picture of false salvation. He'll say your real satisfaction, your soul level contentment, your happiness in life, significance, meaning is gonna be found in fill in the blank. some indulgence. It's gonna be found in some very reasonable sounding selfishness. It's gonna be found in meeting the deep needs of your soul without taking God into account. It's gonna be found Found in the rightful pride that you feel after what you've been through you don't know what it's like that been, and you feel that and and the enemy is going to say yes to that it's going to stir that say let's grow that it's going to be found in deception about who God is and deception about what God says this is the verse the first archetype of temptation did God really say is God really like this It's going to be found in ways to to live out of your own strength. Here's the thing. For most of us, Satan is not going to begin asking you for worship. He's going to begin telling you you should be worshipped. And, or, the opposite side, berating, belittling, and accusing you that nothing good should ever come to you. Those are the two spaces we see the enemy working, you know, puffing up our pride or absolutely trying to belittle us with accusation. And Peter uses a word here, (laughs) that the the scholars say, it it means more than simply eat. It means, it implies that this lion will simply gulp you down in a single mouthful, no time to protest or struggle, you will be gone. Here's the thing I want to say, the enemy, no matter how tempting The things he puts before us is never after your good. Jesus says the enemy only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Christ has come to do what? To give us life and life to the full. God is never going to abandon his promises. He's staked his integrity on life abundant. So the instructions to us is resist the enemy and you're not alone. Resist the enemy and you're not alone. Resist all these false offers of salvation. Resist the puffing up of your pride or the belittling of your soul through accusation and deception and cling to one another knowing that you're not going through this on your own. We're all trying to resist this roaring lion. We're all trying to not be eaten. Resist him standing firm in the faith Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is going through the same kind of sufferings. When Jesus' brother James writes basically the same idea in his letter, the book of James, he says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Basically, like, hide yourself behind the cross. Hide yourself in the authority of Christ. You don't have to come on your own authority. You come in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we deal with the enemy, we deal entirely in the authority of Christ. And so we stand behind Jesus and we say, you take it out with Jesus. That's the way we resist, that's the way we fight. It's literally to take a lie that's repeated like a ticker tape in our brain, captive, and replace it with a promise of God and give the lie to Jesus. Cast your anxiety on him, let him deal with that, and you say to the enemy, I, I, in Jesus' name, get away from me. That may sound bizarre to you, that is one of the ways we, we, we practice the freedom that we have in Christ, how to resist temptation and then he ends with how to hope and the whole letter has been about this living hope how to hope and the God of all grace think of how God could have defined himself anyway God of all power that little while church will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen Elder Jackie will sometimes tell, tell us in, in a meeting, like uh, we'll read something from the NIV, and she's like, I gotta say this in how I first memorized it, because our God, that ministry, I direct you to the cross. That he is literally willing to spill his blood and give his life to make this true in you, in us, as family forever. The letter opened with, I'm calling you, you've been given New birth, you're alive in a new way into a living hope. You have a share in the resurrection of Jesus and an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And as he closes the letter, he comes back to that same reality. I believe for many believers in this place, God is going to do work today around restore strength and settle and establish, but I also believe, I woke up this morning unable to shake this because I didn't do it last night and I woke up as the first thing on my mind this morning that that there may be someone here today that has been exploring the idea, the reality beliefs about Jesus, but today is a day that you need to take a step of faith into new birth, that you need to entrust your heart and life to Jesus in a way like you never have before. And there's something that's a little strange sometimes that Christians do, which is how do you help someone do that? It's basically like, let me give you some language for a DTR between you and God. Let's define this relationship a little bit. I want to surrender to you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. And if you don't know how to pray something like that, but you feel that stirring in your heart, I want to give you some words for a new birth prayer. Okay, here's and I believe that the Holy Spirit is if if the Holy Spirit's prompting you and you see these words of this new birth prayer, Heavenly Father, I want to receive the new creation. Forgive me for all my sins. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit. I want to live the rest of my life in the way of Jesus as Your follower. Guide me all of my days and receive me into Your forever kingdom. I surrender to You in faith in Jesus' name. That's a new birth prayer. I want to invite you. I'm gonna literally just shut up for a second. Some of you, I think, need to pray this to begin a new life with Christ this morning. I'm gonna stop, you pray that, and then we'll come back in just a second. Amen. If, if, in just a minute, we're, we're, we're closing. And in and, and just a minute, I'm gonna give you two invitations. One is if you sense God is doing something in your heart around restore, strengthen, settle, and establish. I want to invite you to pray pray with someone around one of those words. Restore, strengthen, settle, and establish. I believe God wants to minister that to us today. Secondly, if you prayed this walk in the way of Jesus as a follower, to to know what this new birth looks like in actual life. So those are our two invitations this morning, is to receive the ministry of God around restore, strengthen, settle, and establish and to to let someone know if you've prayed this new birth prayer because we want to help you walk in the way of Jesus. I'm gonna close with what Peter closed with. He says, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Church, we have been through a lot. You have been through a lot. The past two years, this week, just the news, the heartbreak, the, 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 the joy and then the agony and, and, and again, and what do we do? And and we bring our heart, we cast all our anxieties on him. We stand in this true grace. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you would minister to us in this true grace. God, I know I've, I've said it so much, but I pray you would say it by the power of your Spirit and the secret place that you would Show the way you want to restore, strengthen, settle, and establish in this place today. Do that ministry in our midst. I pray, God, for anyone who's beginning the new birth in Christ and trusting you in a new way today, giving giving themselves in surrender to your salvation. I pray you, you would lead them forward. You would surround them with love and community in this new life. Pray these things in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.